Russia attempts to intensify its action in eastern Ukraine. It employs flank-attacking maneuvers near Avdivka, despite suffering heavy losses during direct strikes. In order to support Ukraine in its fight for freedom and liberty, international partners are increasing their investment in artillery capabilities to provide Ukraine with much-needed resources. You are listening to the podcast Explaining Ukraine. Explaining Ukraine is a podcast by Ukraine World, an English-language website about Ukraine. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I am a Ukrainian philosopher, journalist, and chief editor of Ukraine World. I am joined by my colleagues Anastasia Harasimchuk and Darya Sinhayevska, journalist and analyst at Ukraine World, to discuss key events in and around Ukraine for the last week. Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the largest Ukrainian media NGOs. Before we start, let me remind you that you can support our work at patreon.com slash ukraineworld. We provide exclusive content for our patrons. You can also support our volunteer trips to the front lines at paypal, ukraine.resisting.gmail.com. You can find these links in the description of this episode. War news, diplomatic developments, continuous Russian threats. The past week was full of important events. Dasha and I are ready to share them with you. Dasha, what topics are we going to dwell on today? So today we are going to pay close attention to Russia's againly efforts and basically uh, mining of the nuclear power plant in Zaporizhia. The results of joint U.S.-Ukraine inspection of the use of weapons. And surely we will switch to international agenda, that is uh, Donald Tusk's visit to Ukraine, uh, France um, increasing uh, efforts to produce more artillery shells, and Norway allocating funding for ammunition for Ukrainian needs. And uh, as usual, we are going to start with frontline developments. And here I want to say that uh, according to the Intelligence Center of the Estonian Defense Forces, um, experts of which believe that the Russian armed forces are achieving some successes in attacking Ukrainian positions, but what's important to highlight from the flanks while suffering heavy losers during direct attacks, active fighting is taking place in the direction of Luhansk, Luhansk, and several uh, Russian uh, assault units have suffered heavy losses there. Uh, these losses uh, have resulted in uh, desertions from some units. From a Ukrainian perspective, it is from this direction that a major wave of attacks is expected, though not before late uh, January or early February, by which time the ground will uh, have frozen. At the same time, the concentration of uh, forces in one place means that similar offensive activities are not expected in other directions, as there are simply not enough troops. On the Donetsk side, Russian troops are trying to cut through Ukraine's Avdivka supply lines. It is there, too, that the Russians have um, also tried to carry out unsuccessful attacks with armed vehicles. And as we know, um, Alexandr Stopon, who is a spokesperson of the Joint Press Center of the Defense Forces, um, said that Russians are focusing their assault and offensive actions on Avdivka and Novomikhailivka, attacking there with infantry without armed uh, vehicles cover. And uh, 
we know that basically that leads to um, human uh, losses, life losses, because basically always infantry goes along with uh, some uh, backing, which is not the case for Russia. However, Russian troops have had some success uh, south of Marienka. The reason for this has been that the, the avoidance of direct attacks, as we previously mentioned, uh, where casualties are high in favor of attacks from the flanks. Also, the Russian Federation announced the seizure of the village of Krohmalne in Kharkiv Oblast. Um, the Ukrainian command responded by noting that this is a temporary phenomenon and it poses no threat to neighboring units. Speaking of our south lines, British intelligence reports that Ukraine maintains presence on the left bank of the Dnipro River in Kherson uh, Oblast and continues to repel Russian attacks despite uh, some logistical insufficiency. The Russian army's uh, Dnipro uh, grouping failed in all its attempts to dislodge, let's call it in such way, uh, Ukrainian defenders. It is very likely that uh, poor training and coordination problems of the Russian troops in the area limits their offensive capabilities. Russians uh, have uh, intensified the use of drones in Ochakivsk sector, where they are trying to maintain control over Dnipro-Busky estuary to prevent shipping uh, from resuming from Mykolaiv ports. Um, this was reported by basically uh, Natalia Homonyuk, who is the head of the Joint Press Center for Operational Command South. And uh, I guess that's it for uh, this block uh, in our episode. But um, I should highlight that um, all that we see, all that enormous efforts that um, are sh- that we are demonstrating in fighting for uh, our common European values, for our sovereignty and rule of law, uh, is basically um, supported by our international partners. So um, Ukrainian society is resilient and uh, it's, uh, it is united with this need for achieving uh, just peace. And in this case, we... Um, can't help but uh, looking deeply in Donald's uh, Tusk's visit. Uh, so uh, I know that Nastya has something to tell us, right? Yes, Dasha, and that's true that Ukraine is to a great extent dependent on the foreign assistance and uh, talking about the Ukrainian resilience and readiness to uh, defend European values. Mm, we should we should understand that it's. Um, a common, common uh, task, common mission, and it's not only about the survival of Ukraine; it's also about the prosperous future of Europe. And in this regard, it is really extremely important to pay attention to the visit of the Polish Prime Minister to Ukraine, which took place on the twenty second of January. And uh, this visit is extremely important to analyze and to look closely to uh, because. It took place amid the difficult stage of bilateral uh, relations between Ukraine and Poland. Uh, So it's worth noting that uh, it was the first visit of uh, Donald Tusk um, to Ukraine after uh, returning to the prime minister post. And it was his uh, first uh, foreign visit on his uh, current position uh, in general. Uh, Talking about this uh, problematic stage of relations, let me remind you that currently uh, Ukraine and Poland have some uh, misunderstanding regarding Ukrainian agricultural exports and Poland limited its volume. 
uh, due to uh, farmers, uh, Polish farmers' protests, and also Polish uh, carriers and farmers um, several times blocked the um, borders, uh, checkpoints at the border of uh, between Ukraine and Poland. Uh, so these these uh, problems are actually uh, very serious because they spoil the um, the partnership between Ukraine and Poland, and it leads to misunderstanding by societies from both sides. So talking about the visit, uh, the Donald Tusk's visit to Kiev, uh, it has both symbolic and practical meaning and the experts both from Ukraine and uh, Poland are discussing if the results of this visit will help to open a new page of bilateral relations. Uh, So getting to the practical results uh, of this visit, uh, Poland joined G7 declaration on security guarantees for Ukraine. So Donald Tusk announced about this decision. In the same terms, in the same context of uh, military and security support, Poland announced a new military aid package for Ukraine. But both sides didn't uncover any details of this package. It is just clear that it will have a form of a loan uh, on a purchase of weapons for Ukraine. Uh, Poland and Ukraine also discussed joint production of weapons and looks like Poland is considering the opportunity to invest into the joint production of weapons. Um, The next uh, important point uh, concerns restoration and renovation of Ukraine, and Poland is going to take an active part here, making this uh, sphere one of the main focuses. And uh, the Polish government appoints uh, Polish um, uh, member of parliament, Paweł Kowal, as a commissioner for the restoration of Ukraine. Uh, Paweł Kowal is a very, um, very powerful uh, figure in terms of Polish-Ukrainian relations. Uh, he chairs the Foreign Affairs Committee and he's an expert in uh, Polish-Ukrainian bilateral relations and he is very well familiar with the situation in Ukraine. So the experts express satisfaction with this appointment and they believe that uh, this direction of uh, bilateral relations uh, will uh, develop very effectively. And uh, the last point here is that the Ukrainian president Volodymyr Zelensky offered to enhance cooperation in energy sphere. Regarding problematic issues, the sides decided to discuss critical problems on the bilateral level. Uh, So Donald Tusk expressed unwillingness to involve third parties or any international institutions um, to uh, solve the problematic um, issue of agricultural exports. And it's uh, a bit... um, I would say it's not the best option for Ukraine because Ukraine... Uh, was going to rely exactly on the third parties in uh, resolving this dispute. And the EU institutions would be uh, of help here. Uh, However, um, to uh, resolve these disputes, the compromises are necessary and the detailed negotiations about uh, all the aspects of economic cooperation are necessary. That is why this bilateral uh, level um, is extremely important, and I mean governmental level. Uh, Talking about the painful spots of common history, uh, Ukraine and Poland are going to keep discussing them. 
And both sides are going to respect the historical memory. But at the same time, both Poland and Ukraine understand that it is extremely important not to let the historical issues become hindrance for development of bilateral relations, especially amid the challenging security context. Uh, so, um, summing up, uh, it is important to emphasize that Poland sent a very clear message that it will keep supporting Ukraine in its existential struggle against the aggressor. And Donald Tusk said that without an independent Ukraine, there will be no safe Poland and Europe. And the Polish side will do everything to ensure that Ukraine preserves its integrity and independence. Uh, so uh, we also know that there are some political uh, disruptions uh, inside uh, Poland, some domestic political conflicts. And there are fears in Ukraine that uh, these kind of disputes inside po Polish uh, political uh, society would have negative impact on the level of support to Ukraine. And Donald Tusk emphasized that uh, any political conflicts in Poland can uh, influence the level of support and um, no disagree there are no disagreements about supporting Ukraine between presidential and governmental uh, branches of power uh, so uh, and uh, the Polish uh, leadership not only supports Ukraine uh, in terms of uh, repelling Russian aggression, but uh, all the political forces fully support Ukraine's rapid accession to the European Union. Uh, so these visits uh, show that the dialogue on the top level um, is resumed and it's a good sign. It shows the political will of the sides to solve all the problems. Nevertheless, we shouldn't expect fast developments and we uh, shouldn't expect uh, fast and easy solutions of uh, problematic economic issues. What is also worth mentioning here that Poland uh, divides political uh, uh, level of uh, cooperation and economic. So uh, Polish side doesn't uh, think that uh, protecting uh, its markets uh, contradicts with the general support to Ukraine against Russian aggression and in political terms. So um, what we have to do is just to observe how the situation is evolving and what steps will uh, the sides take to resolve these economic, uh, bilateral economic relations problems. Uh, however, the experts remain very cautious about the prognosis and they say that Still, this agricultural exports issue is quite difficult to solve and we need patience and uh, we need uh, to be fully invested in these thorough negotiations and find compromises. As of now, the protests of uh, Polish farmers are suspended, uh, but they say that uh, they can, uh, can resume them soon, uh, already in the beginning of March. So uh, the problem it's clear that the problem isn't solved yet. And talking about the international dimension and international support for Ukraine, let's switch to the um, technical military component of it now. And Dasha has 
some news from Norway and France uh, in this context. Uh, so, yes, French Armed Forces Minister Sebastien Le Cornu said in an interview with uh, Le Parisien that the next steps are the supply of 40 Scalp missiles to Ukraine, as previously announced by uh, French President Emmanuel Macron. According to the minister, they will be delivered to Ukraine in the first half of this year. The artillery coalition is being launched on the basis of Caesar artillery systems and uh, in order to produce uh, 78 um, such units for Ukraine, France plans us to involve uh, other countries. According to him, uh, France has significantly reduced the production time for all types of uh, weapons, and that is really a nice step as, uh, for, for example, for the uh, 155mm projectiles required by Ukraine, uh, their monthly production will grow from 2,000 to 3,000 from the end of January. Uh, Likrinyu noted that the problem with the munition for Ukraine arose due to the fact that the world reserves are of gunpowder are mm, somehow limited and they are exhausting as all countries are increasing their capacities. And um, I should also point to his uh, summing up of, uh, of speech that the political system and moral in Ukraine have not exhausted themselves as uh, well as our determination and uh, the determination of our allies. Moscow as well as Pyongyang and Tehran are watching us our ability to demonstrate endurance and reliability. Another news comes from the Norwegian government that has allocated over $190 million to increase the production capacity in the Norwegian defense industry, mainly for artillery ammunition, including the spurring needs um, of Ukraine. Um, so the funds will be allocated to specific projects at NAMO and another half will be provided to other projects within the um, Norwegian defense sector. Um, we can't help but mentioning uh, assistance of the EU as it tackles a new $22 billion plan to boost Ukraine military aid and new plane aims uh, to direct uh, this uh, this funds um, at uh, joint military procurement for Ukraine uh, to um, like allocate the, the sum for um, the needs of uh, the, the most urgent needs of the Ukrainian defense forces. With this move, the EU is seeking to update uh, aid program that is critical for Ukraine, and um, this move comes after a number of European countries. Uh, bilateral military aid to Ukraine, as, as Nastya said, this point of political will is extremely important. And yes, it goes in package with uh, um, strategic capabilities, with uh, defense calculations, and um, it is adequate approach. But at the same time, I guess, um, before this full-scale invasion uh, developed, uh, we, we see how the world just accepted the notion that it's normal for Russia. So if we, for example, recall the events in Chechnya and First War um, and uh, the signing of uh, agreement after that, that was violated by Russia after three years, and then it, it just uh, attacked Chechnya once again. And I guess this notion of it is usual, it is normal for Russia to behave as it behaves, must be breaking down because we see how it breaks um, any agreement it signs, any, um, any any suggestion that it makes uh, 
for like peace negotiations and um, other stuff. So, um, and in this bilateral agreements and in this supranational support, I guess we see this pattern of uh, moving to another form of understanding this um, like world uh, and this um, this political situation around uh, around Russia as a, as a country in, in the world and I guess that this was the bridging to uh, another crime that Russia is now committing that is mining of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant and uh, uh, as far as I know UNESCO wrote um, some part of articles on this matter and uh, I'm sure you have some observation to share with us, right? That's true, Dasha. And before going directly to this um, alarming event about mining of the, the Parisian nuclear power plant, uh, I absolutely agree with your uh, with your uh, opinion about the um, political will and the necessity to finally uh, to finally give a proper response to Russian actions, because after two years of the full-scale invasion and amid all the uh, crimes, war crimes that Russia has been committing for all this time, it's already time to understand that it's not possible to use the same approaches uh, to Russia. It's not it's not wise uh, to wait for certain changes in its behavior and use the old methods, because uh, these lack of uh, determination, lack of power, powerful response only encourages the aggressor to commit more crimes and to act more brutally. And the last news from the Zaporizhian nuclear power plant only proves this point. And uh, the International Atomic Energy Agency confirmed the repeated mining of the territory of the Zaporizhian nuclear power plant. Uh, the explosive devices, loca- uh, devices are located in the buffer zone between the internal and external faces of the uh, of the power plant, as well as along the perimeter of the station. Uh, so uh, this again puts the whole Europe under the threat of a nuclear disaster, and that's actually how Russia is using this nuclear blackmailing. To uh, to achieve its results, and uh, mining of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant is not the uh, only way how Russians are using these blackmailing tactics. Um, the reports issued by the International Atomic Energy Agency also uh, uh, notes that the plant was left without backup power for several hours last week. So it's another incident that raises uh, nuclear safety risks. And let me say that such situations with uh, with problems to connect to power grids, is um, these situations happen quite often. Uh, what is also uh, terrible here that Russians hinder normal maintenance of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, especially by putting pressure on the employees of the station. So they cannot... Uh, effectively fulfill their responsibilities at work. So, um, according to the Ukrainian intelligence, an act of terrorism is possible at any time, as long as the station is under the Russian control. And um, it's the situation is really alarming. And what is uh, what is the most unfair here that the international community did not 
pay proper attention to the nuclear energy sector of Russia. Uh, so uh, amid this news, amid this uh, blackmailing and these threats, it is necessary to uh, understand that it's already high time to impose sanctions against Russian nuclear sector. Uh, we know that uh, the international actors are sanctioning the gas and oil uh, sectors of Russian energy energy sphere. However, uh, the nuclear sector remains out of due attention, especially if we talk about Ros- uh, Rosatom Corporation. Uh, the international players prefer perceiving uh, Rosatom as an operator of a peaceful atom, which is actually a mis- which is actually a wrong approach. And uh, Rosatom is not only selling uh, nuclear fuel or builds power units around the world. It also operates all the um, small companies and organizations that are responsible to the full cycle of nuclear weapons production. So Rosatom uh, consists of more than 400 uh, subsidiary organizations. And uh, it's this corporation is about all the... Uh, all the possible ways to use nuclear. Uh, so um, getting under the dependence of nuclear, uh, uh, Russian nuclear fuel, uh, letting it uh, build the whole nuclear power plants, as well as uh, buying uh, services and fuel, uh, giving and this way giving the corporation money to produce and develop nuclear weapons, is a... Um, is a path directly to deepen this strategic instability. And while the world is looking for the ways to reach this strategic stability, not imposing sanctions against Rosatom is actually the way on the opposite direction. And it's really critically important to pay attention to this aspect, especially amid the um, the news from the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, which is actually uh, operated by, by Rosatom. And continuing the topic about Russian uh, crimes and Russian misdeeds, uh, there is uh, a widespread narrative that Russia is is, um, spreading inside uh, itself and is trying to sell abroad, is that Ukraine is misusing uh, weapons uh, provided to Ukraine by the international uh, partners. And uh, Russia is also trying to spread this narrative about the weapons black market in Ukraine. Uh, So uh, the news I'm going to tell you about uh, actually debunks this this narrative, debunks this this disinformation. So Ukraine and the USA conducted the first joint inspection of weapons provided to the armed forces of Ukraine. And Ukrainian and American inspectors checked three main items there. Uh, so the serial numbers, technical conditions, and conditions of storage in terms of safety and security were checked. And the information, uh, the information, the uh, results of uh, this inspection are currently being processed. Uh, so uh, there, are, there is no official report yet. However, during the joint work, there were no critical remarks from the U.S. representatives, which means that... Um, the Russian narrative doesn't have any right to exist, and it's just uh, the way to uh, to spoil relations between Ukraine and its partners, and to 
uh, cause mutual mistrust and to reduce the public support uh, of uh, Europeans and Americans to Ukraine. Uh, what is critically important here that uh, Ukrainian side says that the similar uh, similar inspections regarding the end use of weapons uh, provided by our partners will continue, and it's a very uh, clear clear uh, step that shows that Ukraine is transparent regarding uh, this issue, and uh, it is ready and willingful to conduct these inspections because it's a way of. Uh, build trust between uh, between us, between Ukraine and our partners. And it also removes this issue of black market speculations. These were all news for today and thank you for listening to us. This was a podcast explaining Ukraine. It is a podcast by Ukraine World, an English language website about Ukraine. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm a Ukrainian philosopher, journalist, and chief editor of Ukraine World. I was joined by my colleagues Anastasia Harisimchuk and Daria Sinhayevska, journalists and analysts at Ukraine World. They discussed key events in and around Ukraine for the last week. Ukraine World is brought to you by Internet Ukraine, one of the largest Ukrainian media NGOs. You can support us at patreon.com slash Ukraine World. You can also support our volunteer trips to the front lines at PayPal, ukraine.resisting.gmail.com. You can find these links in the description of this episode. Stay with us and stand with Ukraine.